What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Ashley Bell Whitney on today's episode. How cool of a name, right? I am so excited to get to know her. And Ashley, I'm just going to toss it at you. Start wherever you'd like with your story. All right. Uh, so I'm super excited to be on the podcast today. Um, I usually listen to birth podcasts, but as you know, it's super raw right now to be listening to anything like that. So uh, I'm so happy I was able to find this one. Um, I usually listen uh, to podcasts on the way to work. Um, so this one has really helped me with the grieving process. Um, I'm from Southern Maryland, just about an hour and a half south of Washington, D.C. Um, I'm married to my husband, J.B., and I have a six-year-old daughter named Amelia. Um, I'm a urology nurse currently working at a surgery center. Um, so basically, I just jotted things down. I was going to start with our journey uh, to trying to conceive. Um, we knew right away that we wanted to have a family together. Um, I met my husband when my daughter was one. So as soon as we got married, um, we wanted to jump right into trying to have a baby uh, together. Um, we got married in 2018. Uh, Labor Day weekend. Um, a couple months prior, uh, I had my IUD removed. Um, it was a copper one. Um, I had that in for a few years because I breastfed my daughter for about four years. Um, and as soon as we got married, I actually used some of our wedding money to buy the Ava bracelet because uh, I wanted to track my cycles. Um, and I noticed like a couple months in that with my LH strips, like the cheapies that everyone uses, um, along with the bracelet, some of my cycles weren't ovulatory. Like I wasn't getting that temperature spike that everybody got. Um, so I knew something was off. Um, so around nine months in, I decided to make an appointment with my nurse practitioner, um, and she was great. Um, I know some women, people are like, don't come in until you've tried for a year. I feel like you really have to advocate for yourself to realize like something's off and to kind of push for that. But I was lucky she didn't push back at me. Um, and she drew some blood work. And I found that my progesterone was pretty low. Um, usually they draw that on, I believe, day 21 of your cycle or seven days past uh, when you think you're ovulated. And I believe mine was at a two and they want it to be around 10 to show that you ovulated and that it could sustain a pregnancy. Um, so she said, I'm not very comfortable with prescribing any medications. Um, and based off of your insurance, you don't need a referral. So she went ahead and sent us to a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, 
So I made that appointment and we got in around April of 2019. And I was seen at uh, Shady Grove Infertility. And I know there's a few all around the United States. Um, and my doctor, you know, I was scared that I was going in, you know, at nine months of trying that she was going to be like, well, why are you here? But I felt so comfortable. Um, she started out with some diagnostic testing on us. Um, I had the HSG where they check your fallopian tubes to make sure they're clear. That was fine. Um, they did a sonogram on day three of my cycle to check my um, antral follicle counts. All that was okay. So basically, she just said, it looks like, you know, you weren't ovulating. And then they also did an analysis for my husband. And that one showed that he had good counts, but his morphology, which is the shape of the sperm, was pretty low. Um, so she wanted to do an IUI wash. So basically with that, they take the semen and do a washing on it, send it the sperm through a gradient. So they have to swim to the other side and basically the best sperm make it to the other side. So having a low morphology, he's So she was confident that IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, would be the best bet for us. Um, so we did three rounds of Clomid each month back to back with a trigger shot. And basically the trigger shot uh, tells your body to ovulate and also helps with maturing um, the egg inside of the follicle. And each month I either had one or two I responded well, my uterine lining was good. Um, so we did three months of with Clomid, and then the fourth month we tried Letrozole, which is also known as Fermara, uh, with a trigger shot and still no success. Um, and at that time I was like, four is my limit because the medications made me feel anxious. Um, I was having lots of hot flashes. Um, so I said four is my limit, and then I want to start talking about IVF. Um, so November comes around of, of last year, um, and we decided that that was going to be our month to pursue IVF. Um, but before they do IVF, they want to make sure your uterine lining's good. Um, there's nothing in there. Like, our tissue or polyps um, to make sure you know everything's good to pr proceed with a transfer. So they did a saline sonogram on me and found that I had polyps inside of my uterus. Um, so before I could even start the IVF injections, um, I had to have a hysteroscopy um, and they removed polyps, made sure everything was clear in there. And then I started with uh, the stimulation drugs. Uh, typically, you, you're on two stimulation drugs. I was on uh, Minipure and Gonal F. And then you go in almost like every other day to check to see how your follicles are doing. And then towards the end, it's every day. Um, and I responded really well to that. I believe I only had to do eight days of injections. Um, my doctor 
was really great about making sure I didn't overstimulate because that was a worry of mine. Um, Cause I know one of the doctors I used to work with his wife um, overstimulated and um, had some complications with that. So she worked really good with us to make sure that didn't happen. Cause our plan was to do a fresh transfer. And basically what that means is after your egg retrieval, depending on how your embryos do, you either do a three day or five day transfer. So that was our plan all along. Um, and if you overstimulate, typically they'll have to do a freeze all where they freeze all of your embryos and then you come back like a month or two later once your body's kind of relaxed and you're not having any issues with the stimulation problems. So the day after Thanksgiving, um, my husband and I went to Shady Grove for our egg retrieval and they were able to get uh, 15 eggs. Of those 15, 11 were mature and nine fertilized with ICSI. Basically ICSI is uh, where they inject the egg with sperm. They pick out the best ones. Um, five of those made it to the blastocyst stage. So um, we were pretty excited about that. At the time of our transfer, uh, which was five days after our egg retrieval on December 4th, we knew we had one 5AA, which is the best of the best, um, blastocyst to transfer. Um, and then it was still kind of up in the air that day, like how many we had left. So on the way home, I was kind of upset because throughout all of this, um, you're not guaranteed to have the, your doctor do any of your procedures. It's kind of luck of the draw who you get. And I, I, up to this point, everything was great. Like everybody that I had for hysteroscopy, for the transfer, um, was great. But this doctor, she was a little dry. Um, but it come to find out, like we both had the same birthday. She's like, maybe this is, you know, this is a sign. I'm like, okay. So we left that day, not knowing like how many, um, embryos that we had. Um, so a couple days passed by and we finally get a call from my doctor um, to tell us that, you know, four of the other ones made it to be able to freeze. So we were excited about that because, you know, we want like two, two more children um, together for a total of three. Um, but we were just happy, you know, to have the one five AA blastocyst that we had. So um we had a couple days go by you know of course we're always you know the trying to conceive community is always like testing 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 and I was like trying to hold off as much as I could but um I also had a coworker that was going through IVF with me um we were actually two days apart and so I had two beta HCGs scheduled. Everything was looking great, doubling like normal. Um, we went for our early ultrasound around five weeks because um, with IVF you go super early. Um, everything looked fine. 
they actually could see a heartbeat that early. Um, and then, so they scheduled one two weeks later at eight weeks. Um, and they, it's crazy how much like the baby grows from five weeks to eight weeks. Um, and then, so at that time they had me graduate to my OB and I decided to do, um, a midwife practice because with my daughter, um, I delivered in the hospital with a midwife. Um, but this time around, we wanted to do um, a birth center. <clears throat> so we actually decided the birth, the closest birth center was about an hour away, which is in the same hospital. It was kind of attached to it um, as um, Shady Grove. So even though it was a long drive, we were excited. Um, so throughout all of this, right after, just to backtrack a little bit, right after egg retrieval, um, you start progesterone and estrogen to kind of prime your body and to thicken your uterine lining for transfer. So I was on um, endometrin and estrogen pills. Um, and once you're on that, they have you continue that until you're about 10 weeks pregnant. So my first appointment, was just a couple days after I had stopped. Um, at my first appointment with the midwives, and everything looked perfect. Heartbeat, heartbeat was strong. Um, no worries. And so that afternoon, I get home, and I start bleeding. And I'm like, this is strange. Like they didn't do an internal alter. I um, mean, they didn't do an internal ultrasound on me. It was uh, transabdominal. They didn't do a pap smear or anything because I wasn't due yet. Um, so I called the on-call midwife um, and no one called me back. And it was like getting super late. And I told my husband, I was like, just look after my phone. I'm going to go lay down. Um, so she finally calls me back at nine o'clock that night and was like, so I am so sorry. It's been super busy. You know, in the future, if things get like this again, like call right back and I'll have one of the nurses give you a call. Um, just to communicate back to you. Cause she's like, usually this much time doesn't pass by, but she's like, you know, bleeding is super common in the beginning of pregnancy. Don't worry. But my thing was, um, back when I did all the IUIs, I was also on progesterone and usually like two to three days after I stopped it, I would, you know, start a cycle. So I'm, I was almost wondering if this was like a withdrawal bleed. Um, but she was like, you know, don't worry about it. If it's slowed down, you know, or she's like, go take a warm shower, try to relax. Um, just call us back if, you know, you're soaking a pad um, in an hour. So I was like, okay. So I go to work the next day. Everything's fine. The bleeding had stopped. But I'm up and walking around because I work um, in a pretty busy uh, urology surgery center. Um, so that next day, the bleeding starts again. And I'm like, something's not right. Um, so I call. They said for me to immediately come in. They're going to do another ultrasound, even though I had one the day before. And everything was fine. Um, they didn't see any um, subchorionic hematomas. So sometimes blood can get trapped um, in that area. Everything looked fine. The baby was bouncing around in there. Heart rate was great. So I was confident, you know, that this was just like going to be maybe my norm going forward so you know 
and eventually, I think a couple days later, the bleeding had stopped. So we were just going on with our normal lives. Um, we had our nuchal scan scheduled for 12 weeks. Um, the midwives don't do that. They actually sent us to a um, maternal fetal medicine doctor. Um, so we had that at 12 weeks. We also decided to do genetic testing um, through Natera, which I, we've had good experience with this company. Um, it took about a week and a half for all of that stuff to come back. Um, but at the nuchal scan, the way it works is the ultrasound tech does all the measurements and ultrasound first, and then the MFM comes in to like confirm everything and do their own ultrasound. So the nuchal scan basically is looking to make sure that, you know, this is just like a screening tool um, to make sure that the baby doesn't have Down syndrome. Um, measurements were fine for that. Um, they're looking for like the skin fold in the back of the neck. Um, measurements were good with that. Uh, and our genetic testing came back normal for no abnormalities. Um, but during that, I felt like the ultrasound tech was spending a lot of time on the heart. And of course, as nurses, sometimes we know too much. Um, but I was like, well, maybe this is just what she's doing. But it took her six or seven times to measure um, this certain measurement of the heart, which is called a heart axis. And I'm like, you know, something's just not right. But I didn't speak up about it. Neither did my husband. So, like, we get in the car, and I'm like, you know, I just felt like she was spending way too much time. And they also recommend you getting a fetal echo um, around 20 weeks um, just because of IVF, because they say that there's like an increased risk of congenital heart defects. So, um, so I just felt when I left that appointment, like just, you know, in my gut, something was right. But so I sent the MFM a message that next day and I said, Hey, you know, I'm trying not to overreact, but I felt like the tech either it was the baby's positioning or, you know, just something wasn't right with the heart access. Like I felt like she shouldn't have been measuring it that many times. And you know, a week went by, I didn't hear anything. Um, so she finally got back to me and said, you know, I remeasured it, remeasured it. She was very honest in the, in the message. Um, she's like, yeah, she was having a difficult time, but I remeasured it. Everything's fine. Um, it's within normal limits. Um, but we'll be able to tell more, um, at your anatomy scan. And I had that scheduled for, um, 18 weeks. So I was like, okay, we just need to get to that point. And at this time, um, this is in February, um, the Natera genetic testing um, will also give you your gender. So we plan to have our gender reveal um, on February 23rd, which was a Sunday. Um, we had family over, it was a great time, very informal, um, We I had actually bought these like smoke bomb things from Amazon um, that basically has two boy colors, two girl colors, um, my two mother-in-laws, you know, bought decorations, my mom bought, you know, the food, we had such a great time, um, and we found out we were having a boy, um, and all along we knew if we were having a boy, we were going to name him James Camden. Um, my husband's a huge Orioles fan, Baltimore Orioles baseball fan, and their baseball field is called Camden Yards. Um, 
so that night I went to sleep thinking like how excited and blessed we were. You know, I, I told my daughter, um, you know, God's blessed us with, you know, mommy having a girl and then mommy's going to have a boy. And I just felt, you know, so much excitement, um, going to sleep that night. And I was like, I, you know, I'm so excited. I can't wait. Um, and then to backtrack a little bit, my daughter also was super excited to be a sibling or to have a sibling. Um, the day after our wedding in 2018, she thought as soon as we got married that, you know, a child was going to be here. And I'm like, oh, looking back, you know, this, we didn't know this, our journey was going to be, you know, this long to get here. Um, but, you know, things change. So the next day, um, February 24th, we had a regular, um, appointment with our midwives. It was just going to be, you know, a Doppler check for the first time. Um, just make sure heartbeat was good. And my daughter ended up coming with us because she had woke up that the day before with pink eye. So it wasn't quite time for her to go back to school because of the eye drops they have to put in. So we were like, we'll just bring her along with us. Everything will be fine. She'll be able, you know, to hear the heartbeat. It's going to be so exciting. Um, so that Monday, day after the gender reveal, we went in, um, midwife comes in, just making sure everything's good, and then she goes to try to Doppler me, and, you know, it's taking a long time, and I'm like, what's, you know, I'm starting to get, my heart's starting to race, and I'm like, what's going on? Um, you know, she's just, like, moving her it around, and she's like, well, maybe it's just positioning, um, do you mind, you know, we have an ultrasound right here, um, we're in the ultrasound room, do you mind if I just do an ultrasound? I'm like, oh, that's fine. She puts it on, is looking around, and, you know, immediately I'm, I felt like the color just came right out of me, and my daughter goes, mommy, why is your face so red? And I'm like, everything's fine, but inside I'm, like, starting to panic because, you know, every single time we do an ultrasound, the first thing I look for is the heartbeat, and it wasn't there. And I felt like the midwife was trying to downplay it a little bit. She's like, well, maybe, you know, he's, he might be in a, you know, a weird position. I'm going to go ahead and call the MFM's office to have you go right over to, for them to check you. And I'm like, okay. So immediately when she leaves the room to call them, I look at my husband and I'm like, something's wrong. Um, and he's like, no, let's, you know, we got to hold on to hope you know, some, everything's okay. And I'm like, no, something's wrong. And so she comes in and she's like, you know, like they said for you to go ahead and come straight over. Um, but the MFM's office doesn't allow, um, children to come in unlike the midwife's office. So I knew I was going to have to call, um, my mother-in-law, she lived in the area to come sit with Amelia. Um, so we immediately drive over it's like not even a five minute drive to their office. Um, my husband stayed in the car to wait for uh, my mother-in-law, Wendy, to get there um, to help sit with Amelia. So I walk in and I knew why, why I was there. Um, and she's like, do you want to sit in a separate area? And at the time I was like, no, I'm fine. But deep down inside, like I'm looking around and I knew why I was there. Everybody around me is pregnant, of course, because it's, you know, 
MFM's office and you know everyone's looking at me I have tears running down my eyes um, panicking hoping my husband can get in shortly to sit with me um, so he was able to get in time and they took us back and um, again ultrasound tech goes on to my stomach and she says I'm so sorry there's no heartbeat and that's when I just you know collapsed and started crying and it was just like the worst feeling in the world um because you know we had so much joy the day before like such a high feeling and then to for it to be completely ripped away um so she had the doctor come in and at this point I'm like in a ball crying and he's like trying to ultrasound me again. Luckily they turned off the screen so I couldn't see it again, but it just felt terrible to have, you know, a third ultrasound within like 30 minutes, you know, just for them to tell me there's no heartbeat. Um, so then he tells me, you know, there's, you know, three options. Um, you can wait. He's like, but I don't recommend you going home and waiting for this process to start. Uh, of course, because I wasn't having any bleeding. Um, he's like, you could take pills. And then I immediately like interjected and I said, no, like we're too far along. I was almost a couple days shy of 15 weeks. I was like, we're too far along. I just want to proceed with um, a DNC. And he's like, I agree. Um, so he said, you know, what did your midwives tell you when you left? And I said, you know, they were just going to leave it up to you, you guys to decide like how to proceed. Um, he said, okay. So he's like, I'll give her a call um, and see if we can get you on the schedule um, at the hospital. So we leave, we wait in the parking lot for a little while. Cause at that time my husband's dad arrived as well. And we just cried. Like all of us just cried. And my daughter was like, mom, what's wrong? And, you know, this was my greatest fear. It's like, what do I tell her? Because she's wanted a sibling for so long and, you know, saw us go through the whole IVF process and all the injections and, um, to tell her that her baby brother, you know, didn't survive. And she immediately said to me, mommy, it's okay you know, the baby's with Aunt Linda, and my, I have three nieces, their mom passed away when she was 30 to an autoimmune disease, and immediately that brought me comfort to know, you know, that he wasn't alone, that he's with her, um, so a little bit of time passed by, we ended up driving home, um, family came over, we ordered Mexican food that night. My coworker Alex came down, brought me tropical smoothie. Um, and I was just waiting on the phone call from the midwife, you know, to let me know when my surgery time was. And she finally called and, you know, wanted to talk it over with me to make sure that that was the plan. And um, I said, yes, you know, we want to do the DNC. And she said, okay, I'm going to get you on the schedule. I'll give you a call in a little bit to see what time it's going to be. So um, they were able to get me in the next day <clears throat> for my DNC. Um, you know, it didn't hit me, 
you know, even driving there, like, you know, I was sad, we were crying, but, you know, it didn't hit me until I got there. I thought, like, this was the last moment, you know, of being pregnant. Um, I had already started showing. I almost was as big as I was at 20 weeks with my daughter. So I had, a, you know, visible belly. Um, so we finally get to the hospital for the DNC and they brought me back to get me ready. Did my old, did my vital signs, took my temperature and sat me on a stretcher in the pre-op bay. Told me to get my gown on um, and then to cover up uh, with this blanket. Well, it wasn't a blanket. It was a blanket warmer blanket that was metal, um, like shiny metal, wasn't warm. And they were like, well, once your nurse comes in to get you ready, your husband can come back. And I'm like, okay. So time passes. Luckily, I had my cell phone to communicate with him to keep me busy. But I sat by myself for 45 minutes before the nurse came in to put my IV in um, alone. Um, and as a nurse, you know, you try not to be that person to like say anything. And of course, at the time, I didn't because I'm like, just so vulnerable and raw, everything's so raw. Um, but like looking back, I felt like they should have allowed him to come back with me to sit with me and they didn't. And um, so the nurse finally comes in, she gets my IVN. Um, the nice thing is, is they give you this, this charm bracelet and like a little packet of it's a book about loss and like a support group numbers to call, which I thought was really nice. Um, and the bracelet actually was the color of his, what his birthstone, cause we would have been due in August. Um, so I have that to, as I'm like a memory of him. Um, so finally my husband comes back. Um, the doctor comes in. I had never met her. She was a hospitalist um for the hospital and you know she's very nice she had a medical student with her and she asked permission for her to come in and also asked if she could do like a pelvic exam on me to learn and I was like that's fine um because I'm all about you know people learning but I had to speak up because you know at the MFM's office the doctor there had said that we could get genetic testing done on the baby. Um, that was very important to us because we had four other embryos uh, frozen and we didn't do genetic testing on them because of our age. Like I'm, I'll be 31 in June. My husband will be 34. Um, and it just wasn't, you know, something on our radar, but you know, this was important to us because if this was a genetic thing, then we, you know, we wanted to know what it was and how to proceed going forward with the other four. And she said to me, well, did he talk to you about finances, how much it costs? And I'm like looking at her, like thinking to myself, are we really talking about our finances right now? Like we've never met. Um, she goes, I've never, I've only done this one other time. And usually it's for, you know, people have had two to three miscarriages. And I just look at her and I'm like, we're like, we're going to do this. My husband said, well, how much, you know, does this cost? She's like, you know, well, not $10,000, but maybe a couple thousand. And then like, well, we have, you know, good insurance and we're not going to work. Well, 
you know, cross that bridge when we get there. So she's like, okay, well, I'll go get the paperwork. And in that moment, I'm like, you know, the whole stigma around two to three miscarriages, like that just floors me. It just bothers me so much. Um, but she finally got me the paperwork to sign. They drew my blood for that test. And then I went back. Um, I woke up in recovery, um, was having a little bit of cramping, um, not too bad. Um, the nurse was great. Um, the doctor came over. I was still kind of groggy. Um, but she said to me, uh, everything went fine. Um, but just so you know, I couldn't find one of his hands. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, he, you know, I tried to go back in, but you started bleeding and I couldn't find his hand. So if you go home, you might pass that. And I'm just like, so upset. Like, you know, this is all so raw. And I can't believe she's sitting here telling me that, you know, I could go home and pass my baby's hand. And so we finally get discharged and, you know, I was fortunate that entire, I was able to take off a week and a half from work, but that entire time, you know, I was just waiting for this to happen. Um, so that was a scary part of the situation. I felt like she could have said it in a nicer way. Um, but we got home. Um, my daughter stayed with my mom that night just so I, I could get some rest and my husband was able to stay home for that week. Um, we had so much support from family and friends. Uh, flowers came to the house almost every day. Um, my mother-in-law's work made us dinner. Um, our fridge was full. Uh, a couple of days, like after the DNC, we actually had to like go through our fridge just to clear things out because we had so much food to eat and we weren't going to get to it. Um, my best friends came over to sit with me. Um, but that whole week, I don't think my husband and I have ever cried that much in our lives. Um, and I was thankful that, you know, we had that time together and I felt like it really brought us closer um, as husband and wife despite the circumstances. Um, but, you know, each day seemed like it, I wouldn't say got easier, um, but it was, you know, easier to talk about and, you know, cope with everything. Um, and it was a couple days in that my husband and I decided to go to Target um, to walk around and that was a really big mistake. Um, cause as soon as we walked in and we didn't expect this, but you know, it felt like we were walking into a tunnel almost like every, the lights were so bright and everywhere we looked, there was a baby and it's like, what is going on? And, and it seemed like, you know, baby here, baby there. And it was always like, there was like three or four babies and they were all boys. And I'm like, like, what is the universe trying to tell us? But we realized, like, it was, we went out too soon. Um, and I, I was scared to think, like, Target's my favorite place. Like, is it ever going to get easier to walk in there? Um, and I will say five weeks, last Tuesday was five weeks since 
uh, Miss Miss Karachin, I will say it does get easier. I'm able to go into Target now. Well, not now because of Corona, but um, we can walk into Target. We can walk around. We can see the baby section and not cry. Um, but it's been a, a crazy experience, especially with the virus that's here now and the pandemic that's going on. Um, but one of the things I wanted to mention um, was there's a book that I found um, and this woman on Instagram, her name's Zoe Clark Coates. Um, she has a book called The Baby Loss Guide and that has helped us tremendously. Um, it talks about her experience with uh, miscarriage and it also has um, some points at the end, a 60 day guide um, to get you through everything. And that has helped so much uh, with this journey. Um, and yeah. So that I've heard, I've heard of her, but I've never heard of her book. So yeah. So this that's one interesting. Came, yeah. So this one came out, I believe in October of 2019. Okay. Um, and I thought it was really cool because she's very active on her Instagram page. Like she even like commented back on some of my comments. Um, but a lot of her quotes from her book and just her experience, like just go straight to your heart. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, that's exactly like she steals the words right out of your mouth. And it's like exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. That's how I know about her is just like through quotes. Cause I, I know I've posted one of her quotes on the life after miscarriage, uh, Instagram. Yes. And they, they do, they, they're, they're spot on. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thank you so much, Ashley, for jumping on and sharing your story. I always ask at the end of every episode, if you had one piece of advice for somebody in a similar situation, what would it be? I'd say advocate for yourself. Um, like I had mentioned that there's just like a lot of stigma around, you know, getting help if you're trying, if you're having difficulties conceiving, um, you know, you don't have to wait till a year of trying if you feel like something's wrong. And if you find, you know, a doctor that doesn't want to do blood work for you, find somebody else, like, cause that's your right. And you don't have to wait for two to three miscarriages to get genetic testing. Um, as long as you're far, far enough along and they have enough tissue to send, like that can happen. And, you know, don't let the price of it deter you. Um, a lot of companies do have compassionate care programs based off of your income um, to be able to afford it. So like, don't let that be, you know, you know, a deterrent thing to not have it done. And the one piece I want, don't want to forget, and I forgot to say, but I'm glad we did do genetic testing um, because we did find out our baby had a rare genetic disorder that only 20 people in the world have. Um, so going forward, we're waiting on karyotyping for us. Um, it came from me. It's like a microduplication. And so we're waiting on karyotyping um, right now to see how to proceed because if I am a carrier for it, that means we're probably going to have to go through another egg retrieval to have more embryos to test. Um, so I'm glad I did push for that because um, going forward, we would have never known. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge. 
you got answers, you know, like that's, that's amazing. Um, and I totally agree. Advocate for yourself. I, I wasn't great at that at first. <laughs> you know, you, it's so easy to like listen to the doctors when they're like, oh, right. you have to wait until two to three. And it's like, no, like you said, it's your right, you know. Yes. Um, now, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where could they do so? Um, on Instagram, um, my handle is uh, jmunursemom. Um, and I actually it's not on private anymore because I opened it a little bit. I was able to share our story and um, just about a week and a half ago. And I, I encourage people if they feel confident to do that, to do that because people even from high school, college, like have reached out with their stories. Um, and it just goes to show like you're not alone. So if you want to add me on there, I'd love that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. Keep us posted. I know that this is still really fresh, so I appreciate you jumping on and sharing. It means a lot. Thank you. we'll, We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. 